Let us start today's conversation with uh, Vincent Diallo, Managing Partner at Interlace Ventures. Vincent, welcome to the show. Hey, hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Um, yeah. Great to have you. So let's, uh, let's introduce you to our audience. Uh, tell us a bit about your background, how you got to venture capital, and, and tell us a little bit about Interlace Ventures, what is the focus of the fund, and whatever else you want to share in terms of check sizes that you write, like to write, what stage you like to invest in, and so forth. Let's get to know each other. Sure thing. My investor pitch, basically. Um, so my name is Vincent. Um, you will very quickly notice that I'm French um, with my accent. Um, I'm French. I'm based in San Francisco. I've been investing for five years now. Uh, um, and the latest vehicle um, is Interlace Venture. We launched it uh, last year with my, my partner, Joseph. Joseph is himself also French and is based in New York. So French active on the U.S. market, but we're actually coming from China. So after I said that, you realize that it's a little bit an unusual journey on our side. Uh, we are actually former operator in retail. Uh, we met at a negotiation table in China when I was the CFO of a trading company that we exited. And Joe was uh, um, working for um, famous mineral water brand called Evian, and uh, we met at that negotiation. So that was the beginning of a, of a friendship that turned out to be a, a business partnership, and, and now uh, I would say we, we are fully a partner, partner in crime, brother for, for Interlace. What happened is that the entrepreneur used to work for in China uh, after we exited the company, moved to New York, and called me over to, to manage um, um, his investment, basically, uh, in a startup. At the beginning, that was, that was just it. That was a blank page. It's like, you want to invest some money in startup tech for me? And um, that's how it started. I invited Joe to, uh, to join the adventure, and, and we developed that investment capacity of a, what was a family office called was called Blue Capital. We did 11 investments with this one. Uh, there was for us a proof of concept, a way to, to refine our positioning where we could really uh, bring value to the ecosystem because needless to say that even five years ago, I don't think the ecosystem was needed, uh, uh, was needing, sorry, uh, um, a new micro VC, put it this way. So you had, we had to identify and um, uh, um, relevant angle and, and a meaningful strategy that was quite aligned with our strengths, our background, our access. And that's what we did by focusing on, on, on retail technology. So it was not that obvious in the a, in a very first year, but it came very uh, naturally uh, down the road. So mm -hmm. even investment with this family office, most of them in retail technology, that gave us momentum to, uh, to launch Interlace, spinning off our activity launch interlace and uh, being backed by this family office, but also uh, I would say uh, um, uh, families that have uh, extensive operation in, in the retail space, um, different families. Okay. Um, so that give us, that give us the momentum. Um, yes. So within retail technology, um, 
what is your geographical footprint? Where would you invest, and, and what 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 is the what are the constraints? So we invest mainly on the U.S. market. Let's be clear. Um, we even have a preference for New York area and Bay Area. Uh, generally, we say 75% of our, of our investment in those regions, um, and we remain 25% opportunistic. Uh, for the rest, uh, I would say of the U.S. territory, but I would even increase it to North America, maybe to the world. Let's be honest, we can be opportunistic, but our focus is, is just primarily those two regions. And, okay. and the, the main reason is to be close to the, to the founder and have um, dynamic interaction um, because this is what we believe we have we have some value add we are very founder friendly not intrusive but we're very happy to 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 help and support where we can um, and what check sizes do you write we range it from 50k to 500k with a sweet spot at 250k so definitely pre-seed seed Without uh, a necessary um, lead position, we're very comfortable uh, to be uh, to be uh, the let's say the industry expert that that brings this this angle to the table. But do you also lead? No, we don't. We don't have to. We don't have to. It's not. A, it's not a. Uh, you don't have to. You or do you not lead? We we let a few rounds, uh, but we still. I still consider we are we are on a learning journey in a way that. Uh, we've been do, we've been investing for five years. You know the learning cycle of VCs is pretty long, so mm -hmm. I'm still happy to uh, to learn from the the best practitioner and 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 following a, a strong a strong lead. Um, so it's not a must. Um, we can lead. Um, it's not it's not our our fight. Put it this way. Um, okay, let's uh, let's double click down on. Stage. So, how do you define pre-seed? How do you define seed where you're comfortable? Do you need a proof of concept? Do you need, you know, what do you need? Do you need paying customers? What do you need to feel comfortable to write a check? Generally, I, I already invested on a on a PowerPoint presentation, so I don't need much uh, in terms of uh, advancement of the project, and uh, and that's probably. Uh, um, the position of any pre-seed investor uh, at that stage. Uh, I think uh, a meaningful vision a on a significant market with uh, an excellent team are uh, always uh, good elements. What I usually add uh, and request uh, is to have at least a grasp on the product, maybe not a grasp, but a demo uh, to understand um, at least validating their capacity to uh, to execute and present clearly uh, their vision. Um, so that's, that's generally what I ask. But the main criteria for me is the market size, the ambition, and uh, the excellence of the team. Um, yeah. Let's talk about some of the companies that you have invested in. And as you were describing a few of these case studies, Talk about how you encountered them, when you encountered them, what stage, what did they have, and what did you see that convinced you to invest? 
Well, I'm not going to go through all the portfolio because uh, totally 17 companies. No more. So just, just a few examples, uh, I think some that are um, uh, representative of our approach. Um, with the family office, we, we backed a company called Cargo. Um, and um, that was, um, let's say, a surprising uh, concept because these uh, those are the guys who, who tried to uh, create a commerce experience in Uber. So I don't know if you had the chance to try it, or if you if you if you are uh, a frequent user of Uber. But until very recently, uh, when you entered the Uber, some of the Uber, uh, they went up to thirty thousand cars actually equipped. You had a cargo box, which is basically a, a plastic box with some products inside. Uh, products of three categories, food, I mean, snacking. Uh, you also had some uh, personal care products and small electronics. Most of those products were for free. Um, and so that was um, it's a channel for brands to engage with potential consumer. Um, mm -hmm. so it was the beginning of a commerce experience within the car. Um, and why I wanted to mention this one, not only because it's performed pretty well um, until uh, I would say the, the, the recent change of the, the dynamic in, uh, in, in, in that space. Um, but what I, what, I, what I thought was important or let's say notable, noticeable is the fact that why we were convinced from day one is because again, as former operator, we actually tried um, when we were operating in China, uh, we tried that 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 uh, that channel of distribution, and the fact is, China is slightly ahead in terms of um, digital consumer experience, and and it's it's also a, a culture or a country that embrace embrace change uh, very quickly. So we saw the takeoff of. Uh, the sales in such a space, um, uh, let's say the, the the engagement of user in such a in such a solution, and so when we we were just missing the technological uh, solution to monitor it properly in China, so when we saw it in US with the proper technology, that was basically a no-brainer. That was clearly a, um, a very risky uh, uh, venture, and and I think the first. Rounds were not that easy uh, for them, even though uh, on the end uh, was oversubscribed. But <clears throat> for us, it was obvious at the first first discussion. Just we had con to confirm that the team were able to was able to execute, and and that was also uh, the perfect uh, combination because. They were looking for VCs who had a, a little bit experience in inventory management, supply chain, basically moving products, which we 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 have a, a pretty good expertise uh, on this. So that's that's one good example I think can can highlight uh, our uh, our approach and uh, mm -hmm. our different way of uh, maybe enriched way of, of thinking of, uh, of retail because of the observation of different market maturity and market structure between the European, the Chinese, and the American market. Um, mm -hmm. That's one example. Maybe I could mention also uh, uh, 
singly, uh, singly the investment we did in January, team between New York and, and France, uh, active in demand forecasting, uh, with the first angle on, on, on fashion, but it's also touching uh, uh, FMCG somehow. Um, same, we suffered this pain uh, as operator, um, used to, um, let's say, uh, living six months in the future in terms of uh, in terms of purchase and trends on a very fast-growing uh, activity. And we know how, I mean, the risk uh, that that can that can express in, in that inventory in terms of in terms of performance of the company. And so one of the permanent uh, questions was how do we improve the quality of our forecast? And so when we saw that, that was super obvious for us that there was a, there was a need of support. What we did for them is that exactly uh, in line with our um, approach and positioning, something that I did not mention is that Intelis is not only focused uh, in terms of investment space, but it's also verticalized in a way that we try to have strategic LPs around the table, meaning that they have an interest in helping us to accelerate the portfolio. Uh, so it's potentially business opportunities for the portfolio and that create additional value. So we introduce Singuli to many uh, brands and retailers who could benefit from that. Same for uh, Algopix. I'm sorry, I didn't quite understand. What does this company do? What is the value proposition? It's demand forecasting. So it's basically anticipating the future of sales you will have in yeah. six months, 12 months on SQ based, SQ -based yeah. new SQs, enabling to optimizing your inventory level. Um, I could have exactly the same. The same um, um, Speech about Algopix, which is a company we invested in November, which basically is the, is the Nielsen of marketplace because they have lots, lots of analytics and insights on on um, transaction on, on on marketplace. I think it's the most uh, complete um, set of data on transaction on marketplaces. And in this logic of uh, interlacing, um, yeah, we we make a point to uh, bring them additional business through, through our connection. That is also a pretty strong, um, pretty strong uh, element for a founder to choose us, because I'm convinced that good founder chose, chose their VCs um, and not the other so, way around. Uh, let me ask a bit of trend question. Um, given where we are right now, um, you know, retail is one of the categories that is going through a really horrible moments with, of course, e-commerce is doing very, very well on the counter side. Um, fashion is doing terribly. What, uh, how do you parse the post-COVID world and how are you thinking about your companies, both the ones you have invested in and, the, and what you want to invest in going forward? So, I agree with your the first portion of the, of the analysis. Of course, COVID has been a, a really uh, damaging uh, many retail operations, but at the same time, um, it's a tremendous acceleration of the digital transformation. Yes. Having 
invested on the trend line for a while, for me, it's only good news. A um, good friend of mine is mentioning that we've been through a, a five years acceleration in five weeks, so five years in five weeks. And, and yeah. for me, it's actually uh, seeing companies being ahead of the projection in terms of uh, simply <laughs> revenue, because there's, there's definitely a need for, for, for those new tools. I mean, um, so there's an acceleration on, uh, on, on the digital, uh, on the digitalization of the space. And I see, of course, uh, even more potential today for, for, for some uh, technologies that, that present new ways to engage with the consumers, um, new ways to relate to the consumer, new ways to serve the, con the consumer, new ways to, to propose uh, exciting uh, experience, innovative experience. Um, so video commerce is obvious that it's, uh, that it's growing. We see, of course, a lot of... Uh, uh, opportunities in last mile. We have, uh, we actually will have one position in last mile that is quite exciting. Uh, it's called Cargo AI. Again, Cargo, but not the same. Um, mm -hmm. In trunk. Um, no, I, I, I'm actually super bullish about uh, the the space in terms of innovation in the coming years. And I mean, we're not going to stop consuming. Uh, of course, consumers' uh, behavior. Uh, adapting very quickly to this uh, to this new environment. No real idea on how deep uh, will be the change. It seems like on the market that already totally reopened, um, consumers are quick to go back to their uh, previous habit. So let's see how deep is this change. Uh, there's still mm -hmm. no idea on whether we're going to have a second wave or not. I mean, there's still many, many uncertainty uh, to, to really measure uh, the, the deep impact. What is sure is that digitally uh, speaking, I mean, from a digital perspective, uh, there's clearly an acceleration. And, and, and of course, transformation of, of, of the offline experience, which goes exactly in, uh, in the direction of what, we, what we've been advocating uh, over the past years. I mean, the, the convergence of offline and online. I'm, I'm not even talking about omni-channel today. I mean, it's, it's just table stake. I mean, it's not even a question of how to be omni-channel. It's how to make sure that we offer all the possibilities uh, to the consumer to have the, the shopping journey that satisfies them. There's one shopping journey by consumer, so combining offline and online. How do you make it the best and how do you how do you follow uh, uh, your consumer to deliver him the, the best, hopefully, uh, personalized experience? It's that question and that well, technology. The only, only point I would make is that omnichannel, yes, but I think COVID has changed the dynamics to be uh, uh, the weightage being much heavier on e-commerce and uh, online shopping. And if you have to choose one channel, you need to be digital um, enabled more than the local uh, and physical. Uh, so I think this is, this is a very big shift. And as you said rightly, I think this is a five-year shift that has happened in five weeks. Well, I would not be uh, that um, assertive uh, because I think, I think it's, it's, it really depends on category, um, category of product, category of purchase, um, 
and we should not um, also uh, reduce um, the evolution of the mindset of the consumer. Uh, obviously, um, at least with with COVID, but it's not new. It's been again accelerated with COVID and, and shelter in place. Uh, we see uh, expression of willingness to go to a, a more conscious shopping. It's more local, more sustainable, with a reduced carbon print. Uh, maybe even a, a return on. Um, um, let's say, uh, not a glorification, but it's an appreciation of the effort, which is maybe not completely in line with this, this search for convenience. Um, so again, depending on the category, um, opportunities can be offline, online. And again, each, each shopper should have the possibility to choose the, the shopping journey that is, that is um, convenient. I mean, uh, yeah, but there are some macro trends, like, you know, the, I think some 30,000 stores between JCPenney and Macy's and so on and so forth are closing this year alone. Mm -hmm. That's very big. That's, you know, just from a store footprint, survival of the malls and so forth. This, these are very, very big trends, and these are irreversible trends, I think. True, <laughs> but... Um... <laughs> This is not. This is not. This is nothing new here. I mean, we we we've been talking about retail apocalypse. Or we heard about retail apocalypse for at least three years. Um, I turn to see it more as a as a retail renaissance. There was uh, obviously another capacity of uh, commercial uh, areas uh, in US. I mean, if you compare to, for example, to Europe, it's five times per head. So of course there, there was a call for rationalization at some point, um, and uh, and I think again the crisis has just been accelerating that. So looking for well, I I've been in the fashion industry. I ran a, one of the first ever e-commerce companies, fashion companies, and and I always thought that these big departmental stores full of inventory that is very hard to find anything is an incredibly inefficient model. Exactly. So I, no surprise to me that 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 model is failing. So you can do personalized stores in an e-commerce context, and you can manage inventory. You can, you know, forecast better. Everything is much much more manageable in an e-commerce context. And and I think the that whole digitization of the fashion industry has taken very long. It's surprising how long it has taken, um, but I think it is accelerating now. Totally, I mean, clearly, uh, totally accelerating. Now, it doesn't mean that the, the physical store has completely lost uh, its relevance. You have a um, couple of, um, of models um, that still benefit, even being fully digital, I mean, not fully, but mainly digital, still benefit from, from, from a physical presence. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually, see, see the store, I mean, the physical store as, a potential media channel where you can engage. Well, and also maybe a, a physical fitting room, but you do the you actually do the selections online, and maybe the the merchandise gets delivered to a physical space for you to try it on, and and so on and so forth. Some 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 variation, but I think it's going to change. It's going to change significantly. 
Definitely, and for the good. I, I, I noticed your, your, your background on fashion. I was like, you were so ahead. I mean, you were so... I mean, oh, visionary. God, it was way too early to do that. Way too early. Yeah. <laughs> That's a separate conversation. <laughs> I love to. We, we, so All right, so, um, we, enchanté. Merci pour votre participation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for, for the invitation. It's a, it's a real pleasure and uh, really appreciate what you do for, for the ecosystem, uh, Fermana. You, you've been here for a long time and uh, definitely it's a, it's a, structural, uh, a structural support and I'm uh, happy to, to, uh, to join you in that, in that, in that right. procedure. Well, take care. We'll talk later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.